0: week, like finished school, graduated. Some of you graduated, I know. Um, How many of you have have the summer planned out? A couple of (laughs) y'all. Us too, we're working on that. How many of you have uh, like goals for the summer, things you want to do, okay, or things you want your kids to do? Oh, a lot more hands. (laughs) Skills, right? Chores, jobs, experiences, Maybe you want to read that book, clean the garage, really work the hammock, right? There may be something you're like, that's my goal for the summer. Anybody have a plan to do something that maybe you failed at before and you're coming back at it this summer, right? Like I didn't do, but I'm going to try again. God bless you, right? This morning, we are in week two of a series your church and our church, Church of the Ascension, are doing together. Um, Often we've done this through the years. Johnny and I trade off. And um, so we did Philippians together, even though you didn't see me. We saw Johnny in, in May. Um, we did in a series through Mark together back in uh, Lent, and we have decided to bite off and jump into Exodus together this summer. We are um, thrilled to be a part of that just because we love doing things with you guys. My church is smaller, and they, but they know you, whether well, they know your faces or not, they feel like CCB is a part of who we are. And so we're excited to be a part of this with you, particularly because as a summer, you're committed to, to taking this book a little more seriously than just a study, but to listen to the Lord, to try to discern what God is doing in the midst in this season of your life. You have, you're not a startup. You're a going concern. You have a passion for Vienna. And you have the potential maybe to buy a building, which begs questions, right? Let's say you could buy the building tomorrow and have it paid off Tuesday the question you would have after that is okay now what like why do we have a building right like the building's just a means it's not an end note to self if you think having a church is the end of this church then you, that's a dumb idea the building is just a means so you're asking the lord to guide you and well, lord what what's the vision right like let's listen to the lord and so johnny last week did a great job of introducing you both to the big picture of the summer for that and to the big picture of exodus Because because you're going to see throughout the summer, God is pursuing individuals and a people in Exodus. He's going to pursue individuals and make a people for his name. That is the goal, and that is what he's doing in your church. So we, we, Church of Ascension, are in a very similar place. We're a little older than you, but in a similar season of discernment. And so we are doing this alongside you. And I encouraged our church last week to say, you know, as you walk through the booklet, which many of you, I hope, have, pray for Christ Church of Vienna, they're in this really unique opportunity and privilege, and we want to walk with you, with you. So when you're praying this summer, know there are other people praying for you as well. Last week, again, Johnny, Johnny had this deep refrain and drumbeat again and again. He wants you to set aside time to be with and listen to God on your own behalf and on behalf of this church. That's what he wants you to do this summer with, through this book, to listen to God On your own behalf and behalf of the church. He cast some big strokes. You looked at Exodus 1 and 2 and some of the context. Johnny talked about how the the gospel story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, can be seen in all the great stories that we look at and that Exodus models that great story. Remember, he listed stuff like the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Elf as an example. Elf and Moses, the same story. (laughs) Now you have me here this Sunday and next Sunday. You do the math that's the sign of a pastor needing a break. (laughs) But I've known Johnny a long time and I listened to last Sunday's sermon and that is as direct as Johnny Christina will ever be with you, that sermon. Johnny will never stand up here and beat you over the head. You know that about Johnny. But I just, as his friend, I will tell you that is as direct as Johnny will ever be to tell you, do this. So I would encourage you to take him at his word and do it this summer. Because the belief underpinning that is that God wants to know you and be known. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. Again, we're going to move from the, the early part of Moses' years and his failure, his murder, in chapter 2, into the calling of God this morning. So again, if you have a Bible, please have it open to Exodus 3 and 4. We take, I want to take a big, quick look at the forest And then dive into the trees of Exodus 3 and 4 and and add to Johnny's invitation just a little bit. And I want to invite you again to look at Exodus as a work of art. What you're being invited to do, not only to listen to the Lord, but is to immerse yourself in a work of art. It's like immersing yourself in a Mozart piece for the summer or in Citizen Kane, the movie, or in, in just taking time to look at the way it's constructed because the meaning is so much deeper if you do that consider it, study it, discuss it, gaze upon this book. Because it's more than just art, it's artful doctrine. That's borrowing a phrase from my Old Testament professor in seminary. Scripture is artful doctrine. It's crafted, beautifully crafted art that comes with the message of the eternal good news of Jesus. And it's full, therefore, of what we call poetics, the the grammar of storytelling, right? Like not verbs and adjectives, but... The way a story is put together, if you notice those and begin to ask questions, you will see the meeting amplify, and you will catch things going on that you would have missed. So how should you look at Exodus? A little poetic touch this morning. I want you to think of Exodus as a three-act play. We have a couple of slides. Okay, first act. Exodus 1 through Exodus 13. This, of course, probably are the most familiar parts to many of us of Exodus, right? How many of you have ever seen Prince of Egypt, right? This is Prince of Egypt right here. Moses, Moses being called, the plagues, Passover, all the way across the desert, manna to the mountain. Israel and Egypt, the Savior, God is the Savior. God is redeeming his people that have been enslaved for 400 years. And in that, you see the hidden providences. Johnny touched on some of these last week. The ways God is at work through some midwives and through Pharaoh's unnamed daughter to bring about the protection of Moses. Then we see Yahweh revealed in the second scene of this act. We're going to look at this scene this morning. And then we see the saving Lord, God's acts in chapter 6 through chapter 13 of drawing his people out of Egypt. That's act one, Israel and Egypt, and God the Savior. Can we go to the next slide? Act two then. Is Israel at Sinai? Israel at the mountain. And there we see the companion God. God is taking these, this people that was slaved and they've seen this God do all these acts. They who thought Pharaoh was maybe the God and who, to be worshipped have seen this God come in, this Yahweh come in and really destroy Pharaoh in Egypt with his power. And he draws him to himself and says, now I want you to be my people. And we see his public providences, the way he's providing food and water and again, in the second scene, Yahweh's being revealed. And he's not as much the saving Lord, but the covenant Lord. Come be my people, and I will be your God, is the promise he makes to them. And then Acts 3, or Act three. if we can go to the next slide. Now we have not Israel at Egypt or at Sinai, but Israel around the tabernacle. What does it mean to be in a relationship with this God, to have him at the center, and God instructs them into how to worship him and be with him? This is God, the indweller, chapters 24 to 40. And we see now his provision more directly. We see again in Acts, the second scene, he wants to be revealed and he's revealing himself. And now he's not the saving Lord or the covenant Lord, he's the indwelling Lord. I would encourage you to memorize these scenes. You have them. I said to Johnny, send them out. My church, we send them out this week and I'm gonna quiz them on them tonight. Because I'd love for you by the August to be able to say, here's what's happening in Exodus. Note in all of these scenes, God is the subject. It's God's activity that drives the narrative of this book. Note in the middle scene in each act, God wants something. He's going to reveal himself. We're going to touch on that again this morning. And as Johnny said, there's some narrative themes being stitched again and again and again in the book. This move from the beginning of absence to presence, the book begins that begs the question, where is Yahweh? Here's his people enslaved. We move from absence in the first chapter all the way to God in the center of Israel by the end of the book. We move from an enslaved people to a covenant people. Again, imagine what it would have been like to only know slavery. Your father, your grandfather, your grandfather. Now this God comes and says, be my people. And then lastly, from bondage to Pharaoh, So you'll see at the end, they're going to be bound to God, which begs that question, not what does freedom mean. The reality is you're going to be bound to something or someone. Who or what will you be bound to? So that's the forest. Now the trees of it, Exodus 3 and 4, the end of chapter 2, we have this little paragraph that said, God hears the cry of his people and he begins to move. And then we go right to the beginning of chapter 3 is Moses. Moses 40, age 40 at the end of chapter 2. Now 80, beginning of chapter 3. And we see this Harvard-educated shepherd, this really well-educated man, is shepherding sheep out by this mountain. And something catches his attention. What catches his attention? It's not rhetorical. What catches his attention? A burning bush! Of course it would catch our attention, right? And he could say, oh, it's a lightning strike, it's going to blow over. over." But then he he notices, he stops, and he looks, and he goes, well, it's actually not burning up. It's a bush on fire, but there's no destruction. Now, note to self for the poetics, file away fire and follow file away mountain, because we're going to come back to those throughout the summer. But so he sees this thing, and then he goes to be closer to it. He wants to really see it. And then not only does he see, but he hears, and he hears God speak, right? God says, Moses. So this bush, this voice of the bush knows who Moses is. That'd be a little bit daunting. Don't come near, take your sandals off. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's verse six. Okay, so that'd be a pretty overwhelming day for the shepherd. So what does he do? He hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. Then God gives him this great paragraph. I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them and to take them to the land I promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's up through verse nine. And if I'm Moses up to that point, I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. That's great news. I don't know why God needs to tell me that, but he chose to. I'm humbled. I'm on sacred ground. This is, I'm going to go home and tell my wife, Zipporah, this is awesome. Then in verse 10, he says, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And at that point, the narrative switches just a little because if you or, or me are there and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. That was, up till nine, I'm with you. That's, I love it. Great idea. Great plan. But there's these hundred sheep. Look at them. They're dumb. I, I have a job. I'm fulfilled in my job. I have kids. I have responsibilities. I have a degree. I have college debt. You cannot be asking me to do something where I trust you that much. It's crazy. And here at the bush begins a series of interactions with God, which really go for several chapters, not even three and four, but all the way through six and seven, where Moses and God are getting close. Moses' steady refrain throughout this interaction is, I'm not gifted or capable enough for the calling you are inviting me into. I'm not gifted or capable enough. And he gives reason after reason after reason. Who am I? I'm not a great speaker. We think maybe he had a speech impediment. <clears throat> what about my brother? Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And God's refrain in this interaction is Moses, I'm the center of the action. I will do this thing. Trust me. Trust me, Moses. You are perfect because I have called you to do it. And he gives, we have this amazingly intimate window where God is giving gracious, gentle. Dialogue to Moses. This arrogant murderer of chapter two, who thought he could save Israel his own way, right? Killed a guy and buried him, thought he had hit it, had to flee, has now been a shepherd for 40 years. He's clearly a different person in chapter three than he was in chapter two. Chapter two, I can do it, son of Pharaoh in some strange way. Chapter three, I'm barely a good shepherd please don't, I mean, I can speak to sheep, they obey me, but please, that's as far as I can go. And God's invitation, again and again, is trust me, I am who I am. This is on me, I'm inviting you into my story and work, and I will be faithful. That's what we have in Exodus 3 and 4, and really 5 and 6, and all the way into a little bit of 7. So I want to just make five comments about this interaction between Moses and the Lord. First, notice again that this interaction and this defining of calling, and another way to say being called by God is to say trusting God with all you are, that this interaction flows out of daily faithfulness and in the wilderness. There are two weird things happening here. First, where does this happen? Is Moses in church? Is Moses at a a conference on hearing God? Is Moses at breakaway is he on the mission trip with rod no moses is at work moses hears god at work moses has led these sheep for 40 years he has done it every day and i'm sure there are days he's like good heavens i used to be in pharaoh's court i had the run of the palace now i have to get a dumb sheep from there to there And then tomorrow I'm going to have to get him from there to there. But Moses is paying attention. Moses is paying attention to God in the middle of his work day such that he goes to see the bush. What we believe is God is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the mountain. He's the Lord of the bush. He's the Lord of the sheep. He's the Lord of your week today and your week tomorrow. So, where Moses hears God, first is weird because he's at work. Second, it's weird because it happens in the wilderness. You would think, let's say I ask you to find me somebody to, to lead Israel out of Egypt. You're, you're probably going to think, I need somebody who's, who's in an executive training program. They probably need to have a law degree. I don't want the bottom of the class of the law degree. The SAT score probably needed to be good. I wonder what kind of intern say would have. You're probably not going to tell me, I need a guy who's a shepherd. I need a guy who's a mechanic. I need a blue-collar worker to lead Israel. Now Moses, of course, had had this crazy Harvard-like education. But what he's doing is leading a shepherd hundreds of miles from Egypt in the wilderness. And when you read through Scripture, you begin to see this theme of wilderness again and again. We heard it this morning. In the gospel passage, because, of course, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be prepared. The reality is God prepares his people in the wilderness. If you want to be prepared for what God has for you, you probably need to be ready for the wilderness in some way, shape, or form in your life. God prepares his people there. Sometimes the wilderness is self-inflicted, which is what happened to Moses. He killed a man, had to flee, ended up in Midian. Sometimes it's not self-inflicted, sometimes it's God directed. That's what happened with Jesus. He's baptized by John his cousin and God directs him in the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. But wherever it happens, always God is in it with us. Always God is with it with us in the wilderness. God's with Jesus. He sends angels And God's with Moses, we see it in the bush, and he's gonna be on the mountain later with Israel when they're in the wilderness. Always God is with us, and it always has a formative purpose. It's never an accident. So this morning, some of you may identify with that geography and say, that's right where I am. Some of you might be desperate. I would love to hear a bush, see a bush on fire and be freaked out, because it would remind me that I'm not alone. What this passage is saying to us is you are not alone in the wilderness. It's not an accident that we are in the wilderness when we're there. God is forming and preparing us for what he has. And the deep invitation from God in that is to trust him. Second highlight I'd like to make is that hearing God so we can trust him, we can respond to his calling, involves making time. To see and hear. Moses was at work, but he had to change what he was doing. The passage is very clear that he sees this thing and makes a de- decision to go get closer to the bush. He could have passed the burning bush by or presumed it was just going to burn up, maybe take a glance, keep going, but he didn't. Hearing God impacted his schedule. It affected him. Again, I remind you, this summer, you have been invited by your pastor to make time to hear God. Some of you might feel like, I don't have time for it. And I just encourage you, if you want to hear God, you're going to have to go see the bush sometimes. You're going to have to make choices to use this booklet, which Johnny has put together for you and us. We're using it too. To read, to pray, to ask, because we believe. And what Johnny wants more than anything is for you to hear and meet with God this summer. I know that. But you'll have to be affected by it the way Moses is. You have to say, okay, every day at this time, I'll do this. Every Saturday, I'll do this. Even the simplicity, maybe before next Sunday, catch up to what we're preaching on next Sunday. Read the first eight or nine chapters so that you're ready when you come in Sunday morning. Saturday, if you haven't done it by then, read it before eight o'clock Saturday night. Make the time. Some of you might feel like, well, I'm too young for this. Like, God couldn't speak to me. And then I encourage you to go back to chapter one and see that Miriam, Moses' sister, who was young, is invited into this story because she goes along, watches where Moses' little boat ends up for Pharaoh's daughter. There's someone young. And then again, Moses in this story is 80. We find out his older brother is 83, Aaron. Some of you may be here. Right on the, you know, pushing that. I'm not going to raise any hands, but you're you're bracketed. They're young and old in this story. God is speaking and seeking and revealing himself to young and old, and he would like to do that with you no matter how old you are here. But you're going to have to make the time. It's going to have to affect your week. Third, feeling inadequate when being called, which is what is going on with Moses is a good sign that God is the one calling you. Feeling inadequate when we are called is a good sign It's God is calling. adequacy during the calling is what's going on again with Moses and the Lord. I can't do it. God's saying, you're right, but I can. I can't do it. You're right, but I can. Part of what God is doing there is getting Moses to open up and reveal himself and his fears. Moses needs to be that vulnerable with God, and God needs a Moses who is that intimate with him if what they're going to do together is going to work. Remember, I asked you, what, is there anybody going to do a hard job this summer? Some of you may be looking at your summer going, I have some really difficult things to do or some difficult thing to, things to learn. If you are feeling that this morning, you can sympathize with Moses. Here's Mo, I mean, that's a pretty big task. None of us have been asked to lead Israel out of Egypt this summer. So if you're feeling like you have the hardest summer ever, you don't. But you can sympathize with Moses and go, I get that. I would, if God asked me, X. It's normal to be overwhelmed by what calls you to do. But what he's doing in that is to beckon is beckoning your trust. Maybe you're here this morning saying, Who am I to be a Jesus follower at this high school or down the street at Oakton? What is it? I mean, you don't know how hard it is, Dean. And I don't. But maybe it feels like it's too much to be a follower of Jesus at a high school? Who am I to be a godly spouse to my husband or wife? Who am I to value all men and women if you work on the hill, whether, whatever party they're on, to treat them with respect no matter what, no matter what invective gets thrown? Who are you to flee sexual temptation when we're surrounded by invitations to pursue it? Who are you to parent your kids patiently this summer now that they're out of school? Who are you to lead a church through a discernment campaign about buying a building in Vienna. Feeling inadequate when you're called is a good sign it's God who's calling. And again, what he's beckoning us to do is to cry out honestly to him. Fourth, responding to a calling, which again is just another way of saying trusting God with all we have, very often means laying down that which you are secure in and allowing it to be transformed. I want you to think for a second about something you know you're good in. Everybody here is good at something, I'm sure. Something you're like, this is, I'm, I'm good at this. Now what it would mean for God to come and say, now I want you to take that thing and just put it on the altar with me. And step back from it and, and offer it to God as a sacrifice. Because if you, the part of Exodus 4 we didn't read is Moses is still in his, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. How's it going to work? What if they don't listen to me? What's Pharaoh going to say? So God says, take your staff, right, which is his shepherd's staff. Moses has been a shepherd 40 years. I think it's safe to assume he's probably good with his staff, right? That's what shepherds do. They use his staff all day long. So I'm sure he's good. I'm sure it meant something to him. For, I'm sure he always wanted to know where it was. You know, Zipporah, have you seen my staff And God asked him to take that staff, the thing that physically represented his, his probably sharpest skill set, and he says what? Throw it on the ground. Take the thing you're the best at, Moses. You want to be confident before Pharaoh. He doesn't say, I know you're good with that shepherd's staff. Take some sheep in and to impress Pharaoh, do those sheep tricks you do. Have them jumping, rolling over each other, barking, all the things you're good at, Moses. Things you've been teaching sheep late at night. No, he says, take the thing you're the best at and lay it down because I'm going to use it for something totally different. First, I'm going to make it a snake. And if you're Moses, you're like, wow, I thought I was good with a staff, but I've never made my staff a snake. And so that thing that he's good at, God says, lay it down before me and I will utterly transform it because when I call you to something, I'm going to take who you are and I'm going to because I made you that way, and I'm gonna form you into something more rich and deep and powerful for me than you ever thought possible. But for that to happen, you're gonna have to take that thing that you might feel most confident about and lay it down on the ground before me. It becomes a sign of God's power and presence. And if Moses doesn't lay it down, if Moses says, no, Lord, do something else, which he's saying no a lot, so it's not inconceivable to think he might push back on God on the staff. Then Moses doesn't learn what God can do to transform that thing he thinks he's good at. And as I think about y'all's summer, and we will be praying for you this summer, it makes me think, what are the things you might need to lay down as you dream about what God might have for you here? Because this is a lovely church. We love this church. I brag about you guys. I send people here. And what part of what God might be asking you to do is what are the staffs you have at this church that God will say, for what's next, you're gonna have to just put that thing down. Because you run a, a lovely ship. Like I walk in this morning, I'm like, I'm welcomed. There are bazillion people with name tags on. There are places where if I'm new, I can get coffee and bread. I'm both warm, but I'm, you're not creepy. You're not overselling to me. Um, you have seats, you're not setting up seats. I can tell you that's a rock star thing to have. You don't have to set up sound, really, do some sound. You have a place to play. The best thing about your church, my sons would say, is there's a basketball gym 20 yards from the end of the sanctuary, are you kidding? Those might be your staffs, right? You might have to go, Lord, okay, we don't wanna lose those things. We love those things. But maybe God's gonna say, okay, I don't, I'm not even gonna tell you whether I'm gonna make a snake out of it, but you might have to say, okay, Lord, here, we're open. We'll lay it down and let you return it to us the way you'd like. The foundation of the calling and what you're doing to be an externally focused, gospel-driven, Anglican mission to Vienna is God's promise to you. It is not the staffs you have now. The foundational promise of God is what drives what you're doing. And this summer, as you lean in the Lord, you need to just keep coming back to the staffs and say, okay, what are these things? Fifth, the last thing I want to highlight this morning, I want to go back to that poetic beauty of the middle scene of each of those acts being Yahweh revealed. It is stunning that God wants you to know him. It is stunning. A God who if Moses saw a glimmer of him in the bush, he would die. That God pursues Moses, an individual, and then through that individual, that God pursues a nation. God is revealing himself to Moses. He's revealing his thoughts to Moses, his plans to Moses, his voice. What do you think God's voice sounded like? I go James Earl Jones. I don't have anywhere else to go. It's it's a little Darth Vader-y, but still you got that resonance and power. What do you think it felt like to hear God's voice? And what does God do? Does Moses take in the presence of God, is Moses less himself or more himself? What we see is that being in God's presence as God reveals himself to him actually takes Moses and expands who Moses is. Because Moses absolutely is a shepherd. He had to be to shepherd God's people. But he's an unbelievably unique shepherd who has to step into his role as a leader. And in that revealing, what happens to Moses is he becomes more himself, not less. And God draws him out. And as you enter into a summer of discernment where you're seeking God to reveal himself, that should be an amazing encouragement to you that offering yourself to God will actually make you more yourself, not less. Be ready, though, for two things. One implication of this pattern of God, this God who wants to reveal himself to you and be known, is that you're going to move, again, from absence to covenant to the center if you walk through those three scenes. And that process of revelation will shake up your understanding of who God is. There's no way you and I can take what we know of God now and know more of it in three months and not have our view of God blown up. And you see that in this text. God is gonna be bigger than Moses knows. God didn't, Moses got out of bed this morning, that morning, didn't know that God could be in a fire, in a bush and not burn up the bush. And that's almost the least of it, right? Because we know in a couple chapters, God's going to send locusts and gnats and he's going to turn the Nile to blood and he's going to send frogs. I mean, it's going to get epic. Part of this revelation of God is that God is bigger than Moses knows. Part of this revelation of God is God is bigger than Israel knows. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they know that. They know some things about Joseph and coming to Egypt. They know all these stories of Rebecca and Sarah, but now God's gonna be the Lord of the universe, and he's gonna show Israel how puny earthly rulers are. They're going to find out God is bigger and more powerful than Pharaoh. God's bigger than Moses knows. God's bigger than Israel knows, and guess what? God is bigger than you or I know. So, part of what may happen to you as a church this summer as you enter into this season, and I bet it will, is you cannot rest on what your knowledge of Him is now. God's going to take it and blow it up. And that might be uncomfortable. It was probably uncomfortable to watch the Nile turn to blood, it was probably uncomfortable to be in a land covered by frogs. It was really uncomfortable to pack up all your things, put blood of a lamb over a doorpost, and trust God as you exit Egypt, burdened by the wealth of your neighbors, which is what you're gonna see what happens, and trust God as you headed into the desert. But what we're gonna see in that revelation is God is bigger than Israel knows as well. So be ready, that's one implication of God's revelation. And then two, the second implication that I find really striking as I think about you all and us and just being alive in this time in history. When you see that three times in these scenes, Yahweh revealed, Yahweh revealed, Yahweh revealed, is the central attribute of God that he's coming back to again and again. It's one of the most striking things. What that means is us revealing ourselves in relationship, you and I, wanting to be known, wanting to share insecurities or inadequacies, wanting to understand somebody else, all those things are heavenly eternal virtues. It's not like we have them and oh, isn't it nice, God does it too. It's that this is who God is and being made in God's image means you and I long for relationship and to be revealing people and reveal ourselves. What you see is Moses coming to trust God enough to reveal himself before God. So this pattern of revelation in God and the desire you and I have for it means it's, it's part of what it means to be created in God's image. And it means it's part of what it means to be truly human. Today, if you're in a conversation and someone shares an insecurity with you, and you respond by listening well and extending acceptance and love and care, you are, you are recreating the interaction between Moses and God. You are stepping into what it means to be a citizen of heaven, which is that great phrase from our time in Philippians in May. It means that knowing how to do this, how to reveal and receive the revelation of others in relationship, is part of what it means to be healthy and to be a model for heaven, and to have a gospel focused mission in Vienna. It means revealing in relationship is a heavenly act and anytime you and I do it, we are modeling our God who created us and made us like himself. And that means it's holy work and it's sacred work. And it's not to be taken lightly. And you and I should not only practice it, we should raise and encourage one another to do it. You just prayed. We just prayed. You've given us the joy and care of children. So one mark of the children of our churches should be that they know how to reveal and be revealers, how to listen to somebody else and how to reveal themselves. They should see in the adults in this church, not just the parents, but the adults, this pattern of openness and even inadequacy. I'm afraid of this. I'm not good at this. You should pursue your kids and I mean, again, broadly, the kids of this church, not just your own kids, and teach them how to do this. And as you read Exodus, and I encourage you to read those chapters, see God doing it with Moses and think, what did it mean that God allowed Moses to argue with him, to disagree with him, to share his fears and insecurities? God is open, he listens, he responds. And again, Moses is more himself in relationship with God than less himself. So if you're here as a parent this morning and you have summer, maybe that would be one of the goals you make of being an exodus, an application to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with my kids to teach them how to be in revelation with me, but also how to extend it to them myself, which might mean you share something you're afraid about or a place you feel inadequate in your life or a time you felt inadequate and watch God provide. Remember that thing I said? Anybody entering into summer feeling overwhelmed by something you have to do this summer? Maybe that's something you have your, ask your kids to pray with you about. Or you remember what it's like for them to feel overwhelmed. And you don't curate it, right? Like the, the flat side of a digitally driven two-dimensional life for adults and kids is we curate, right? And it's not just kids on Instagram or Facebook and not adults let's not make straw men and women out of this right like I have a bunch of church websites that cycle through my Instagram our church Instagram and if I read through those I think that church never has a bad day they're they don't misspell a slide their signs are always crisp in the wind all the people there look happy that coffee must always be warm right a photo booth at Easter. Why didn't I think of that, right? Like you could just beat yourself up and that's churches and they're just doing good things, right? They're great ideas but at some point it's still a two-dimensional curated life. We don't do and if we're honest, we do some of this. Like we'd send a picture of the disagreeable Vestry Parish Council meeting about this building and you'd be like, click there. That's insta- there's your story because that would be revealing, right? To be like, this is our church working something out in disagreement. Here's David Honer really mad at Johnny, Right? <laughs> probably happens once a week, right? Like, that's, that's a revealing church. But the only smiling picture isn't, we, we communicate, what we invite people to believe is, well, that must be what that church experiences, and that's certainly not my life. I'm more like Moses. I have insecurities and fears. I don't think I could be a teenager in this time. I don't think I know how to get a summer job. I don't think I know how to apply to college. That church must not understand what my life is like but it's absolutely not what we see here between Moses and God. So it better not be what we model before our community. So if you're here as a parent, my general encouragement is pursue revelation with your kids this summer. And if you're here as a kid and you find your parents annoying as they do this, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands either, but well, you know. Just remember, they're working on something holy. They're trying to practice something God does with Moses. So give them a little, give them a touch of a break. They're not going to do it right. They're not going to ask the right questions. You're going to have stuff going on you don't want to tell them about. Okay. But if they're pursuing you in some way, at least understand they're practicing something that is heavenly. And if you're here as a kid, remember you doing that is a heavenly thing, it's a beautiful thing. And you all do it sometimes better than we do. But be yourselves in a way that's open and even insecure. Because if you read these four chapters of Moses, that's, in some ways that's all he is before God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you again for the gift of this crafted work of artful doctrine. It's not just a book to read, but it's a pattern of life to learn. And we pray that we would come to you knowing your deep passion for us, the same passion you had for Moses. I pray that the men and women of this church, no matter their age, would have all kinds of burning bush experiences this summer where they know you are speaking to them. Lord, you know the best vision you have for them for their next 10 years and 20 years you know whether this building makes sense or not but you know more than anything what you want them to be is a church made up of people transformed by interaction and relationship with you those people might meet in different buildings throughout Vienna but more than anything I know you want and I know Johnny wants and I know they want to be transformed and ignited by you so we pray that that would happen in a way that only you can do. In your name, amen.